Welcome to session eight of the Rooted course. And today we're going to tackle a very important subject, and that is the question of how do we know God's will? How do we know God's will? And this really is an important subject. All of us who are following the Lord, there are very often times in our lives where we want to know what is God saying to us? What should we do in this situation that we find ourselves in? So it really is an important question. I know it's one that many Christians wrestle with. And sometimes we can feel really let down by God when we think we've discerned God's will for our lives. And then something turns out and it shows us that that wasn't God's will for our lives. So I've, I've observed in my own life and in the lives of other Christians that sometimes when we get this wrong, when we misunderstand what God's will is for our lives, it can lead to disappointment and hurt. So this is an important subject. And I want to raise some questions at the start of the session, just so you know, hopefully, some of the questions we're going to be looking at. But there's the question of, does God have a very detailed and specific plan for each one of our lives? Or is his plan very general? How detailed is God's plan? Is there a difference between God's will for our lives and God's perfect will for our lives? Is there such a thing as experiencing God's perfect will? And then there's the question of how difficult is it to know God's will? And uh, there's the question, well, what must I do if I've, I've missed out on God's will. I want to read a verse of scripture and it's from Romans 12 and it it addresses this whole question of knowing God's will. Here we go. Romans 12 verse 1. Paul writes, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Something that really strikes me in this passage is the word then in verse verse 2 of Romans 12. He goes on to describe how we should offer ourselves to God. And then he says, don't conform to the world. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So I think the word then is very significant. And there are actually some requirements given in this passage for discovering God's will. And I think the first one is being surrendered to God. Paul writes, offer yourselves to to God, your bodies as living sacrifices. And I think we can only really discover and know God's will in our lives if we're surrendered to him. Knowing God's will for our lives is is not a theoretical exercise. 
It's not, well, I'm going to be doing this and this is what I want to do, but it would be nice to know what God had in mind for me to do. That's not how this works. Paul says, offer yourselves to God in worship as a sacrifice all of your life. Let it be surrendered to God. Then you will know and discern his good, pleasing and perfect will. And that we'll be able to test it and and in fact be sure of it and know what God's will is. Another thing I see here in this passage is that Christians do not automatically experience God's will. Christians don't automatically experience God's will. Most of what happens in this world isn't God's will. And that's why it's so silly when sometimes a tragedy happens and people say, well, it was God's will. And I think to myself, no, it wasn't God's will. Uh, God's will is not done in this world. People are not surrendered to God. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, may your will be done. Because God's will is, is not done in this world. And so God's will is something that we have to seek. It's not something that automatically just happens. That's why Paul says in verse 1, I urge you, brethren, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices so that you may know and discern God's will. Another thing I see in this passage is that God's will is knowable. God's will is knowable for us as Christians. We're not always going to know everything, and uh, sometimes God keeps us in the dark as to his plans. But, but generally speaking, uh, God is very happy to reveal to us what his will for us is in a situation. Uh, what, what good father wouldn't want to do that for their child. So this this thing of God's will being a mystery, it doesn't have to be that way. God wants to, to a great degree, reveal his will to us. And we're able to test that, to, to check it, evaluate it, weigh up his will and then approve it. That means to be sure about it, to be confident in it. This whole discussion about God's will, uh, actually says a lot about what we believe about God. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's nature and just make the point that the gift of freedom is a a wonderful thing. One of God's greatest gifts to us as human beings is freedom. God created us in his image with a free will. But unlike God's free will, our free will is limited. God is free to do whatever he wants. We are only free to do what we want within certain parameters. So I think as Christians, we really need to value this, this, this idea, this belief that God has given us free will. And and God doesn't want to do all the thinking for us. God didn't create us to be robots, to just function in a particular way. God really wants us to be free beings, to be able to make our own choices and to, to live our lives the way we want to live them with creativity and freedom. God is not a controlling being. Not, not at all. When we speak about God's will, we don't mean a, a detailed plan of what God wants us to do every single minute of every single day. 
What, what colour shirt should I put on in the morning? Uh, what should I have for breakfast? I, I don't think God is really concerned about these things. He wants us to, to, to be making those decisions. We should think of God as our heavenly father, the way a, a human father and child would, would operate. What, what parent wants to be making minor decisions for their child, or even the major ones? Of course not. We, we, we want to see our children uh, making the most of their lives and pursuing the things that are important to them and, and exercising their freedom. And so it is with God. He's not a controller. He's given us free will and he really wants us to use it. And I stress this because so many Christians are almost paranoid about missing out on God's will or really trying to discern what God's will is in a given situation. And I think, yeah, what I'm stressing, and I know I'm belaboring the point, we really need to enjoy and embrace the freedom that God has gifted us with. So my understanding is that God's will for our lives is not so much a detailed plan as it is a goal. God has a goal for each one of our lives. He has an ultimate outcome for each one of our lives. But this is different to saying there's a blueprint. And if you were to say, well, well what is God's goal? What is God's will for every person? And the answer is very simple. It's, it's that we would become like Jesus because he's the perfect human being. And in Romans 8, we read these verses. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him, who've been called. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is God's will for our lives. Big picture. This is what God is working to accomplish, that you and I would be conformed to the image and example of Jesus in our character and in our values. So God's goal for us is that we be like Jesus. We also read this in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, Paul says he compares himself to a, a woman in labor and he says, my dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So there's Paul spelling out his vision, his goal, and, and I understand it to be God's vision, God's goal for us. His vision is that Christ is formed in us. That doesn't mean that we look like Jesus in our physical features, but it means that we become like Jesus in the way we think, the way we act, and the way we live. We, we reach perfection, completeness, whatever that looks like for each one of us. So this is fundamentally my understanding of what God's will is. It is not a blueprint. It is not a map that we have to follow every step of the way. It is an end goal. And the beauty is that there are many ways for us to get to that end point. And God is at work in all of our lives, steering us towards that end point. 
I do want to add, though, that there are gift-based tasks and assignments along the way that God wants us to complete. So we do need to hold some things in tension here. God is not a controller. He's given us free will. He has a goal for our lives, but there's not a blueprint that we have to follow. But I do believe that when God creates a human being, he creates them with unique gifts and abilities and does have good works for that individual to walk in and accomplish for God. So these would be things along the way in life that we do for God. They're unique things he's equipped us to do. And he does want us to do those things, but yet not in a controlling manner. So there are some things we have to hold in tension. And I get this from Ephesians 2 verse 10 where Paul writes, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. So there is some stuff that God has got prepared for each one of us to do in this world. Uh, this could be your calling in life. This is, this is closely related to the gifting that, that God has built into you, the way you're hardwired. Each of us have been created by God in a different way because God has different things for us to accomplish in life. <clears throat> But there are a variety of different ways in which we can give expression to how he's made us. I want to pick up now on what is point E in the notes. And I've already hinted at this and alluded to us. But I want to talk about the difference between having a, a static or dynamic understanding of God's will. Do you have a static or a dynamic understanding of God's will? And I would say that when it comes to morality, God has an unbending will for our lives. And those moral principles, are many of them are summarized in the Ten Commandments. And, and they're found in, in Exodus 20 and again in, in, in Deuteronomy. So the Ten Commandments are, are very important. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not commit adultery. These are, are, are moral principles that God wants us to live by. But on many other issues in life, issues that aren't moral... I think God gives us a tremendous amount of freedom. Just think back to Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. God didn't say at 9 o'clock I want you to do this, at 10 o'clock I want you to do that. God says, I'm placing you in this beautiful environment, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, uh, live a productive life. Uh, and, and I might come and walk with you in the cool of the evening. So, so Adam and Eve were, were given abilities. They were given minds to think with creativity. They were given authority. And God says, get out there and enjoy your lives. Just don't do this one thing. Don't eat from the tree of life, uh, the knowledge of good of evil rather. Uh, in the garden. So God gave a tremendous amount of freedom and just said there's just one thing that you can't do. 
So I, I think this is a good picture for understanding God's will in our lives. So some issues are, are absolute, but, but other issues are up for us to decide. And, and God's will is not fixed on, on those things. So many people, Christians, develop this idea along the way that there is this one perfect plan for their life. And, and various correct decisions need to be made along the way as your life unfolds. And if you miss one of those decisions, then you've blown it. Then effectively you've, you've missed out on God's will for your life. Maybe you were meant to uh, go and, and study for this career, but you foolishly went and studied for that career, and, and now you find you can never do the work that God wanted you to do. Maybe you, you, you fall for someone and, and you, you unwisely marry somebody, and then you find out, well, that wasn't perhaps the person God wanted me to marry in his perfect will for my life. Then what? Does that mean that forever and a day you've now lost out on God's perfect will for your life? So there are a lot of problems with this view of God's will as being static. And this often manifests itself in that debate about uh, dating and marriage, where we talk about, is this the one? And by that, uh, people mean, this is the one individual, uh, this is the match made in heaven that, that God wants me to, to make. And uh, other, I think a correct view is that, um, that we're free to marry or not marry, and that God's will doesn't unfold like that, that there's only one right or perfect decision that we should be making at each junction in our lives. So I understand God's will not so much as, as a path, like going through a maze, and if you make one long turn, you get into a dead end. I don't see God's will like that. I rather see it's a, it's a direction I'm heading, and it's all about becoming like Jesus, reaching that end goal that God has for me. I want to mention another example, and that is of, of, of someone who perhaps marries the wrong person and who even experiences, say, a divorce. And then the sense is, well, you know, how can I experience God's will in my life? Because on this big, important, significant thing in my life, it's, it's all gone wrong. And, 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 and people really wrestle with this question. And, and, and with this view and this understanding of what God's will is, I think there's great joy and great freedom and great liberty because what I'm sharing with you today is that I believe that whatever wrong decisions you or I may have made in this world, and, and we do make wrong decisions on, on many things, that actually can't stop us from experiencing God's perfect will in our lives. Because I've come to understand that God's perfect will for my life and your, and your life is the quickest and shortest route to us reaching our final destination, to us reaching the goal, which is having Christ formed in us, which is being conformed to the image and, and the likeness of Jesus. 
So this is my understanding of God's will. Don't feel that uh, it's, it's deterministic and that it's a blueprint. And if you make a mistake or something's happened to you or someone does something terrible to you, that that has stymied God's will in your life and that you're now stuck with never being able to experience God's perfect will for your life. The, the wonderful news of the gospel is that that is not the case. If your heart is right, if you've offered yourself to God in worship, if you're seeking God and you desire to do his will, you and I can still experience God's perfect will in our lives, which is the fastest route from where we are to where, we, where God wants us to be. And we might be miles away from the point where God wants us to be. We might be close to it. But whether you're far away or close to where God wants you to be, both examples can experience God's perfect will in their lives if they so desire. Let me deal with the question now, which is a related question. Is God's will general or is it very specific for my life? And this is just another way to talk about what I've already been speaking about. For example, is there one career path I must follow? Is there just one person God wants me to marry in this world? And that's actually a very easy question to answer because uh, God's word addresses that. And I'll share that scripture with you in, in just a moment. Other questions would be, well, where does God want me to marry? Does God want me to have children if I'm married? Um, where should I live? What car should I drive? When it comes to morality, there are clear answers. And scripture speaks to those issues. But when it comes to all the other issues of life, uh, we have the freedom to make those choices for ourselves. Let me share that scripture that talks that I think really explains this. God really does allow us to choose what degree of sacrifice we want to make for him and his kingdom. God expects all of us to live morally upright lives. But he doesn't demand and expect the same degree of sacrifice from every Christian. And let me, let me give you a good example. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage. And he says this. I think it's about verse 36. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the young woman he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. Verse 37. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the young woman, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the young woman does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. So do you see in the scripture here that Paul is actually saying, when it comes to God's will for your life as a, as a man, in this particular example, if you want to marry this particular person, you really are free to marry that person. 
But if you decide, well, there are a number of reasons and, and you don't want to marry this particular woman, Paul says you're equally free to do that. In other words, this verse shows us that there isn't the one person, nor is there a definitive plan of God that in your life you have to do X, Y, and Z. This scripture stresses human free will, and here Paul is saying, well, if you want to marry this, this young woman that you're engaged to, go ahead and do that. But, but if also you think, well, we're living in very stressful times and we don't know exactly what else is going down here in 1 Corinthians, but Paul says, gee, if you decide you, you don't want to marry her, you're probably going to do even better. So this is just a great example because it spells out so clearly that God's will for an individual is not definitive and that he gives us as individuals the freedom to make even huge choices like that one. Here, here's another example when it comes to, to giving money, giving money. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, uh, Paul writes, each man, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here again, Paul is saying when it comes to giving a, a, a special offering or giving money to support a particular ministry, Paul says, well, you know, you, you're free to do under God whatever is in your heart to give and to do. And so there again, I think there's great freedom and the end result is that we become like Jesus in our behavior. There isn't a blueprint that we have to follow. There isn't a maze that we're walking through. Another example is, is from Isaiah 6, and this is where I get the idea of sacrifice from. In Isaiah 6, he has this vision and he sees God in the temple, high and lifted up. And he hears the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? It's God asking the question, who is going to go and, and serve me? And Isaiah offers himself and says, here I am, Lord, send me. It's not a case of God saying, you must do this, Isaiah. God saying, who will go? And he responds. I think there are times when God does tell people. I think of the example of Jonah, and he certainly didn't want to go and do what God told him to do. But, but that's uh, another example, and, and life is always uh, complex, as you know. So in conclusion then, on the nature of God's will, I think God's will is something dynamic. God's will is flexible, not when it comes to morality. There are ethical absolutes. There are moral absolutes. But, but when it comes to other things within the wider parameters of life, God wants us to make our own decisions. Uh, and, and he will bring us to conformity with Christ in his own loving way. In the second part of this talk, knowing God's will, I want to talk now how we can practically know God's will. We've looked at the nature of God's will. Now I want us to talk about, well, if I've surrendered my life to God, I'm, I'm seeking his face, uh, and I'm wanting to be able to know and approve 
God's will. How do I go about it? Well, I've got 10, 10 ideas here on, on how we can know God's will. And the first is obviously the Bible. The Bible is the one infallible guide as to what God is like and as to what God's will is for our lives. Understood in the way I've I've shared it. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Verse 15. And you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there we have it. The Bible is inspired and it is there for us. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us in righteousness living. Of course the Bible doesn't specifically address every issue that we face in our lives. The Bible tells us, for example, that stealing is wrong, but it doesn't tell us what career to follow. So the Bible guides us clearly with morality, but it doesn't tell us where we should send our children, if we have any, to school. Here are some thoughts on interpreting the Bible. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Many people abuse the Bible terribly. Uh, The Bible is, is not a lucky packet where we just randomly open it up, put our finger on a verse and think God is is addressing an issue in our lives. That's not how the Bible works. We need to be serious in our study of Scripture. We need to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be masterful in how we handle the Word of Truth, how we understand it and interpret it. And the plain, literal, obvious meaning of a Bible verse is usually its meaning. We shouldn't look for magical meanings, secret meanings that are not obvious. The the Bible is not a a code book that you need a supercomputer in order to understand its message. When we're looking at the Bible, we always need to look at the context. Well, who was this verse written to? Are there conditions that apply to this verse? Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Sometimes the Bible is just describing what happened in a given situation. And it's telling us what happened. It's not telling us this is an example to follow. So we need to identify, is this passage prescriptive? i.e. telling us, do it like this, or is it descriptive? It's just a description. We need to look at what the author intended. What did the author mean? Because any interpretation of a scripture verse must tie in with what the author meant by that verse when he or she wrote it. 
We also need to consider, well, what was the recipient's understanding? And then move from what it meant in that context to what it means for us today. Also, when it comes to interpreting the Bible, the genre of a passage is important. What kind of literature is this? Is this poetry? Is this a song? Is this a a drama like the Song of Solomon? Is this apocalyptic literature? Is this prophetic literature? Every kind of literature has its own rules, as it were, for interpretation. But when it comes to knowing God's will, there's no better platform, there's no better way to become proficient in understanding God's will for our lives than through studying God's written word and through letting the word of God dwell in us richly. As I said earlier, there there are times and questions that the Bible does not speak to directly. And that's where we can look for principles in the Bible, biblical principles. These are when we read Bible stories and and we can connect the dots and we can see how God has worked in a particular situation. And we can draw out a, a biblical principle and then we can take that biblical principle and then apply it in a similar situation in our lives. This is not a foolproof method of knowing God's will because there's a measure of application involved, uh, but it is certainly very a very helpful method of of discerning God's will. Thirdly, I think using our common sense is very important when it comes to discerning God's will. Sometimes we just need to really apply our minds to an issue to discern God's will. There's a, there's a real place for, for, for hard thinking, uh, critical thinking around an issue, uh, getting away alone, having a piece of paper, writing everything down, good points, bad points, using uh, different hats on our heads as, as different uh, lenses for thinking about a problem. Sometimes we discern God's will just by using the brains that God has has given us. I also want to identify intuition as a a way of decision making. Thinking is when we wrestle with an issue in a way that we are aware of it very consciously. We, we, We debate ideas in our own minds about what God would have us do in the light of of scripture intuition is something different this is this is the thinking as it were that happens in a person at a subconscious level uh, our subconscious minds that, that arrive at conclusions about things uh, and this is what we call intuition and i believe that the the longer you've been a christian and the more filled with the spirit you may be Uh, the more sanctified your intuition becomes. So intuition is important. Uh, Being in touch with yourself, in tune with your inner thoughts and giving giving yourself space to think and to meditate. Different to intuition is 
is spiritual discernment and and the, the spiritual gift of wisdom, the spiritual gift of testing the spirits. This is different to intuition and it's different to thinking. This is when the Holy Spirit says yes or no when we think about an issue that we're facing in life. Romans 8 talks about how the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's child. And I believe that's not the only conversation the Holy Spirit has with our spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's he's the one who's alongside us at all times. And he's there to guide us and prompt us and, and show us the way. This is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He would lead us into truth. He would, he would show us what to say when we're brought before rulers and the like. There's also that lovely passage in Isaiah 30. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 30 verse 21. And the Lord is saying about how he guides. And he says, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. And sometimes God's voice is a still small voice and it's a voice behind us. And it's just there saying, this is the way, this is the right thing to do, walk in this way. That is the the voice of the Spirit. John, in John 10, records Jesus saying as well that my sheep, they know me, they will listen to my voice and as Christians we need to be listening to the voice of God the the sixth way in which God can guide a person is through our circumstances and again this is not a foolproof way of discerning God's leading in a situation but the Bible does talk about God opening and closing doors And sometimes we do need to look around us and see, well, where is there evidence of God's blessing? Where can we see God at work? Where is there the fruit of the Spirit? Where is there evidence of God's gifting in a situation? Because sometimes these are indicators of what God wants us to be doing and what God is is opening up. So we do need to look at our circumstances because sometimes God uses circumstances to move us in a particular direction. But we do need to be very careful about this. And I think sometimes Christians can be guilty of divination. Uh, We're not spooked by black cats walking along the road in front of us but sometimes we do see things that happen around us and we interpret these things as as signs from God and I just think we need to be very careful about what we label as a sign from God because not every coincidental or every amazing thing that we see that seems to be lining up is in fact God speaking to us. So yes, God does speak through our circumstances and through the doors he opens and closes, uh, but, but it's not a, a definite thing. And, and sometimes uh, a door may close and actually God does want us to go through that door. The counsel of others is another very important way of discerning God's will. Talking to people that 
that you trust and that love you. Uh, relying on the spiritual discernment of your leaders and, and of those that are mature in the Lord. I love Proverbs 15 verse 22 that says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And this is a wonderful way of discerning God's will. If you're facing a big decision in your life, Pull together three or five close friends or people that you trust, leaders in the church, and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm going through something significant here. I've got a big decision to make. I'd really love you to speak into my life and to share with me what you think God may be saying or doing in the situation. So talking to, to godly people can be really helpful in, in getting more perspective on what we're going through and and, and sometimes we can't see things that others can see. God also sometimes speaks through visions and dreams and voices. And in, in Acts chapter 2, we, we see Peter in his Pentecost sermon saying, I'm gonna, the Lord is pouring out his spirit on, on all believers. And they will prophesy. They will dream dreams. They will see visions. And we will all be prophetic. Paul saw a vision on the Damascus Road. John saw a, uh, had a revelation when he was on the Isle of Patmos. Paul also saw the, the Macedonian man beckoning him to, to come over to Macedonia. Sometimes God gives us dreams. He gives us visions. Sometimes the meaning might not be completely clear, but then we, we get to pray about these visions, pray about the, the, these dreams. And in the process of doing that, we gain enlightenment and we can understand more of God's will for us. There are also personal prophecies that someone might come to you and say, God's given me a word for you. I've had a dream about you. Uh, I want to share this prophetic word, this personal prophecy with you. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul says that uh, we need to test these prophetic words. We need to weigh them up. And here are a few thoughts about weighing up prophecy. Is what is being said, is it in line with the clear teachings of Scripture? What about the character of the person who's shared the prophecy with you? What, what's their track record like? What's the evidence of their gifting? Uh, are they in submission to others? And do you, in your prayer time before God, agree before the Lord as you weigh it up with what that prophetic message is? And finally, when it comes to discerning God's will, we need to be, we need to be patient. Uh, we often want to know what God's will is in a given situation. And, and we want to know in a hurry. But uh, sometimes God wants to take us through a process of discerning his will because he's doing something in us. But let me encourage you again with the scripture from Romans 12. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. 
But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's as we allow our minds to be transformed through the study and reading of Scripture, through Christian fellowship, through godly conversation, through walking with God, through thick and thin. It's in this process of having our minds renewed. Then we're able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the subject of knowing God's will. This is, is not a clear-cut subject, but I've, I've tried to share with you my understanding of, of what God's will is and also how we can discern it. So uh, I would love to, to read your comments. And I've not said this before with, with any of my videos on the Rooted course, but uh, if you have found this material helpful, I would encourage you to, to give the thumbs up to this video, to like this video, uh, because that will enable uh, YouTube's algorithm to perhaps suggest this video to, to other people. So thank you for watching today and uh, may God bless you and lead you uh, as you seek to know and to do His will.